Welcome to episode 74 of Breakout Culture. I'm Ed Vasey, none other than the culture editor of Country and Townhouse magazine. And I'm Charlotte Metcalf. I'm the associate editor at the magazine. And today we're being crafty because tomorrow, which for us is Monday the 9th of May, the 8th London Craft Week opens. Now, if any of you are still thinking that craft is some grannyish, fusty old hobby, think Again, because as our guests are going to tell us, craft has rocketed out of its cottagey confines into the heart of mainstream culture and is totally redefining contemporary luxury. At this year's Venice Biennale, the Homo Faber event launched in 2018 by the Geneva-based Michelangelo Foundation for Creativity and Craftsmanship was a showcase of craftsmanship on steroids, according to Wallpaper. And several of the exhibitors there were British. Yes, Britain's always had a reputation for craftsmanship, but it's great seeing it being celebrated all over London this week. There's an enormous number of events, talks, demonstrations and showcases. These range from learning how to knit a beanie out of recycled plastic to learning about silk weaving at the Malaysian High Commission, with the Queen of Malaysia herself coming along. There's much more going on around the capital, and here to tell us all about it is London Crafts Week's founder, Guy Salter, and Rosalind McKeever, one of the curators of the Fashioning Masculinities exhibition at the VNA. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Charlotte. Well, good morning, and great to have you both on. And I know that this is a question that is asked all the time, but Guy, I wonder if you can kick off by first telling us the key difference, if the lines aren't too blurred, between art and craft, and then tell us what inspired you to start London Craft Week in 2015. Oh dear, that <laughs> big question. Yes, well of course it's a question that has been asked and various people have tried to answer it for actually hundreds of years, but I will have a crack at it. Uh, I mean essentially, to my mind, there isn't such a big difference in the sense that most of the people who are making remarkable things are artists, even if they don't always call themselves artists, because some feel very strongly if they're making functional objects, they actually don't want to be uh, called an artist. But the skill behind the actual making is the key thing. Well, certainly for me personally, there's a bit of a debate about how much manual work is involved in, in, in craftsmanship. Uh, and to my mind, there always has to be some for, for it to be called craft. But essentially, uh, it also relies on what you might call the same thing that great art relies on, which is creative inspiration, willing to be different and willing to be conceptual if necessary. Oh, that's interesting. So it can be conceptual. It doesn't have to be something made. It has to be made, but it can be conceptual. So, for example, if you, uh, if you think about contemporary craft, you know, objects, uh, which is a hugely growing area and, and is a big focus for us in this year's London Craft Week. Actually, a lot of the objects are conceptual, even if they might have or seem to have a function. Let's say something could be called a vase or, or a, a pot, but actually by its very nature, you're never going to use it for those things. You're never going to put flowers in it. You're never going to pour water into it. They, they are pieces of conceptual art for sure. So what inspired you to start London Craft Week? Because it's just taken off like a rocket, hasn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the eight years has whizzed by. I think, I think the first thing was a sort of irritation uh, at how everyone celebrated the sort of cool and sexy end of, of, of the creative world, as in 
designers, artists, you know, you could see Freeze powering away, for example. But there was hadn't really been a moment for to celebrate the actual makers and making and also materials. So it was as much as anything uh, an opportunity to, to, to do that. Um, but it was also, I think, really motivating me was this sense that around the world there was what I call an iceberg of, of creative talent with all sorts of often completely unknown people working away, creating the most incredible things. So the sense was, why don't we, for one week a year, use London, which is, after all, the most remarkable sort of creative and cultural platform, as a place where, alongside the really famous household names, whether it be the V&A or whether it be, you know, a, a brand like Dunhill or Chanel or, or whatever it might be, and off the back of that infuse into the programme. And I mean, this year, for example, we have over 750 creatives taking part, the representatives of that iceberg of, of, of creative talent. So the whole idea is we, we put it all out there and then the public, consumers, people who are interested, can go and see something famous if they want, but then just sort of round the corner and down an alley as someone they've never heard of, but actually is making things as beautifully as the more famous name. Well, let's talk about the top of the iceberg because I'm really only interested in fame and <laughs> celebrity. So we're going to talk, talk to our celebrity guest, Rosalind, <laughs> about the role of the V&A. The V&A is the pinnacle of the iceberg, as it were. It's probably the foremost national institution in terms of supporting crafts. Absolutely. The, the V&A's mission is to really bring the best of creativity, to take that inspiration that's within all of us and bring it to the wider public, bring it to attention, put these objects on display so that everybody can enjoy them. And that's exactly what we're doing with this exhibition, Fashioning Masculinities, which is taking different aspects of our collection. And it was interesting thinking about this difference between art and craft, because I, like Guy, share this feeling that they're not too distant. So in the exhibition, we're able to bring them together by bringing together art and fashion and finding the ways that together we can see how ideas of masculinity have progressed through portraiture as much as through the clothes themselves. So the exhibition has nearly 300 objects. We have 100 looks on mannequins and then an equal number of artworks. And there we're spanning the Renaissance through to the contemporary, but bringing together examples of the height of menswear, whether that be an exquisitely crafted breastplate through to a recent look by Virgil Abloh, bringing those together with photography, portraiture, sculpture, to really find those connections, find those moments where masculinity has been crafted, both in a kind of conceptual sense of how we're all crafting our identity, but also in a very literal sense about how these extraordinary clothes have been put together. As you say, there's three sections to the exhibition. And in the second section, we're really dedicated to ornament, decoration, those the kind of lavishness with which menswear has demonstrated power. And there we're able to see 
extraordinary examples of couture menswear where they are equally beautifully produced as you would expect from women's wear alongside portraits where you can really get up close and see how historically these kind of techniques like embroidery have been used to to really show off. The V&A has a massive collection uh, in terms of craft. I mean, you've got some um, rooms full of uh, people's fashion collection, fashion collections, uh, and you've got an amazing, you know, in terms of pottery and craftsmanship as well. I mean, you've got that amazing Edmund Duval installation. I mean, you encompass everything really. You're an incredible archive, and the V&A is a kind of huge resource for people who work in the world of craft. Absolutely. We we think of ourselves uh, and always have done as a source book for the creative industries. That's how we were arranged when we were founded. And it's really exciting to see how that continues to happen today. So can we hear a bit about the finale room now? Because going back to Ed's uh, passion for fame, you've got three very famous outfits on display there, haven't you? Tell us about those. So yes, three highly famous outfits. So we have the tuxedo gown that Billy Porter wore to the Oscars in 2019 that was designed by Christine oh, yes. Soriano. Yes. Yeah, so that. so that was such an important moment where really so, someone like Billy Porter who found that he had this platform to ask these questions was able to then commission Soriano to create the most exquisite, on the top half, beautiful black tuxedo, the bottom half, the biggest skirt you've ever seen. It, it, it dominates the room, it's extraordinary. And the quality of the velvet is just unreal. So we have that and alongside it, the dress that Harry Styles wore on the front cover of American Vogue as the first solo male cover star. That's a dress by Gucci, Alessandro Michele Gucci, which again is a really a testament to craft. It's beautifully, beautifully fine, pale blue lace that creates this extraordinary bodice and kind of almost flamenco-esque skirt that was so iconic when Harry wore it on that cover. And then finally, we have a, a look worn by Bimini Bomboulash on the finale of RuPaul's Drag Race, which is an extraordinary, beautifully produced wedding dress with a corset and a long train that again shows the myriad ways that uh, the craftspeople are really using their skills to craft something bigger, craft these bigger questions of identity. Oh, brilliant. Well, let's go on now to what we're going to see at Craft Week itself, because you've got everything going on, haven't you, Guy? Well, I think a lot of it depends, you know, what your interests are. That, that's why we have so many things. That's why we've got over 300 different events, just so that you can, if you like, you can look at the guide and then you can just quickly in 30 minutes plan your own itinerary. But actually, I mean, starting with the VNA, I mean, one of, you know, we've worked with the VNA from the very beginning. When I first set up Craft Week, I knew we needed the VNA on site. And uh, it's, it's been a marvellous collaboration. You can actually go along during Craft Week, not just kind of see the exhibition, but you can see a demonstration, for example, by a, a female tailor um, who's actually pushing the boundaries in terms of Savile Row uh, tailoring, or you can see uh, a demonstration, an upholstery demonstration using recycled uh, materials. 
So, you know, that's, that's an example of where we take something that's already going on and then we try and bring it alive and give you the opportunity to meet meet the actual, the artist or the, or the maker involved. In every case, we, we, we try and do that. The, 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 there's so many other things going on. One, one thing that is, is new this year are our country pavilions. When I started this thing, um, I, I didn't pe- want people to think this was just about, you know, British craft and British creativity. It, it was trying to reinforce, um, you know, London as a global hub for the very best of, of, of what's on around the world. And so um, we've got 26 countries taking part this year. And these two new country pavilions are new. And uh, as Ed mentioned, we've got one that is at the Malaysian High Commission. And this has been bought by Her Majesty the Queen of Malaysia, who has really dedicated herself to uh, preserving and um, reinforcing the skills behind Malaysian silk weaving. So this is a, just a, a fantastic exhibition. Um, and it, it's got an intriguing story behind it, actually, because one of the things that she did was to uh, encourage prisoners uh, to actually learn how to become weavers. So it, it, that's an amazing project. And then the other one uh, for this year is Norway, and that takes part... Uh, place in in, in 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 Cromwell Place, just just around the corner from the V&A, and that that's a a, a wonderful exhibition where which it, which actually combines contemporary uh, craft makers with, if you like, um, the idea of unsung makers from the past. The the other th- I think I think we're really trying to do is 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 going back to what we discussed at the beginning to encourage people to 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 take take the next step on their own journey, if you like, in in, in terms of you know discernment and people who are already let's say interested in beautiful things they're interested in luxury they're interested in fashion but they they now want to move on they're maybe ready to to commission something themselves for their own home or or maybe they're ready to commission a a piece of jewelry or something and so uh this year for example we've got a a wonderful exhibition taking place in, in sotheby's which is which is some of the the most talented British jewelers are, are taking part. For example, Castro Smith, who who creates rings for men, but really with a difference. And I I, I must say something a little bit uh, personal here is that um, I'm getting married, or I should say remarried, um, in 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 early June, and uh, and to a man. And um, well, first time round, I was married to a woman. So the whole question of, of wedding rings would seem to be much more straightforward. So anyway, we're, we're going to go and have a look and consider, should, are we going to have rings? And if so, you know, do we commission one from someone like Castro Smith? Our listeners have really perked up now. And they basically, <laughs> but we mustn't disappear. Yes, let's not go down that rabbit, rabbit hole. hole. One of the thoughts that occurred to me as you were talking about the country pavilions was, uh, and you talked about celebrating London as a centre of craftsmanship and london is often used as a as a label for actually the whole of the of the uk uh, but london is obviously a hugely exciting creative capital and indeed probably the global capital of creativity if i can be very patriotic as it oh were. i agree i completely is, is agree there, <laughs> is there um is there representative representative people from outside of London, for example. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, that is what we've done since the beginning, because I also agree with you two that London is the preeminent cultural hub 
but but I see part of our role as reminding people that London has this international role to show off the very best, and because we are a welcoming place, to be a to be a place where people creatives can come, mix, meet, uh, have no concerns in terms of diversity or, or or anything like that, and that essentially there is a sort of what you might call a common language that creatives share, and and all of us share as well, even if we're not that creative ourselves. You know, if if there's something beautiful, uh, and one can talk to the maker whether they're from the, the US or the Ukraine, you know, it's, it's, it's all the same. And then in terms of the, of the UK, absolutely, our aim from the beginning has been to have a proper representation from all cities and regions of the UK, especially the devolved nations. And in fact, I have someone who I'm, I'm so keen about called Matty Ventrillion, who is the last remaining uh, knitter on Fair Isle. Uh, and she has been working for many years now to, to gradually build up a, a small practice and train up other young people on Fair Isle to produce the, the, the genuine article. Uh, and she's had a very, very tough time recently. So she is actually sort of relaunching uh, a new brand and her, her whole concept um, during London Craft Week this year. But it's really interesting. Scotland is absolutely thriving. I mean, there's, there's Dumfries House, isn't there, which has completely repurposed a big hotel and is home now to all these wood wood turners and cabinet makers and spoon makers and all kinds of things. Scotland's absolutely rocking with craft. It is. It is. And, and actually, it always has been. It's just been hard to access it. And I think this is the key point. I mean, the Prince of Wales um, and the Duchess of Cornwall kindly launched London Craft Week in February 2015. I mean, before we'd even done our first version. So that was a great leap of faith by them. But I'm sure they did it because they're so passionate and have been working for years to, to actually keep a lot of these crafts alive. And, and, and the great thing about what, what they do is, yes, Dumfries House is, is one example, you know, strong sense of regionality and, and all the rest, diversity of, of talent but also in terms of encouraging, for example, Turquoise Mountain in Afghanistan to keep all those skills alive and so on. And, and again, they're taking part this year. So, you know, it, it's, it's an immensely positive thing. And I think over, over the pandemic, what, what's also happened is a lot of people have um, either decided to learn a craft themselves or maybe relearn something that they did when they were younger. Yeah, there's been this explosion of television programmes great pottery throw down and the sewing bee and all the repair all those things it's absolutely extraordinary what a surge this means but it's interesting that we were talking about the great cities of you know london being a great city of culture because london's one of only four global cities two of them being um new york and paris and the fourth one is Tokyo, and that's really interesting because at the moment there's that incredible exhibition on at Buckingham Palace, which is all the gifts that have been given to the royal family over the years that have been in their private collection. And the I think I was talking to you about that, Rosalind, the level of craftsmanship in some of the there and some of those quite domestic things is unbelievable. And you've got some of that in your exhibition, haven't you? Some beautiful, you were saying you had some very beautiful shaving kits and things in your masculinities exhibition. Yes, it's really exciting to see the care and attention that has historically gone into the kind of objects that we're used to using 
on a day-to-day -day basis. In the exhibition, we have, we have the most beautiful handkerchiefs for a start, but it's really in the shaving kits where we see an extraordinary degree of craft. We have an example from the 18th century, which is made of tortoiseshell and covered in this sort of lace of silver that's fascinating to see because we're able to display it alongside examples of lace from the period and see how the kind of fashionability of lace for men extended from their cravats onto their shaving kits and we actually have the most extraordinary crafted item one of one of the favorites of the vna uh, displayed alongside it which is a cravat a lace cravat that's actually carved out of wood by Grinling Gibbons. It was once worn by Horace Walpole at a party at Strawberry Hill. And what's fascinating to see is in the same way that when we see in the late 18th century, early 19th century, a shift from the ostentatious ornamental menswear into the kind of the finesse, the refinement of a Beau Brummel style of tailoring, we also see a shift in the designs of those shaving objects, that they become cleaner and neater and even more organised and refined, where you see how much effort was going into not only the objects themselves, but then the self-care, as we'd call it today, the grooming practices that was so essential to kind of creating yourself as an elegant male. That's you know, really... I like nothing more than an orderly set of toiletries, but um, <laughs> it, it does remind me, I mean, I, I, we've just had the Met Gala, which is obviously where people walk up the steps to this extraordinary ball wearing the most outlandish outfits. I mean, that, it would be amazing to find today's grinning gibbons and to carve. I mean, it's just so exciting and kind of avant-garde to think of in the 18th century Horace Walpole wearing a, a wooden cravat carved by the greatest carver ever, arguably. Mm, yes. But it does remind the yeah, sorry, yeah. carry on guy. Sorry. No, no, I was just gonna say Ed, sorry, um, talking about the, the 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 Met Gala to see Elon Musk in immaculate white tie and tails. Mm. There is no one now in the 21st century making wooden cravats and uh, we have lost a lot of crafts yes we have if you think of them as you know if you think of about the dodo uh you know apparently it's quite hard these days to find somebody who can make a cricket ball you can't it's extinct obviously for me personally the loss of clay pipe making has been devastating <laughs> uh, watch making clock making spade making apparently bell foundries uh, is there any way we can support endangered crafts? But is there anything we can do to intervene or do we just accept that is the march of the modern? I, 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 it's a really interesting question. I, I, I think that, I mean, there is a, a thriving organisation called the Heritage Craft Association, the Prince of Wales' patron of, that has been doing a, a, an amazing job um, where it can. But obviously there does come a point when you've only got one person left, you know, yeah. making... Uh, you know, some, some, yeah, whatever it might be, and let and let's say there's no longer a demand for it. You know, eventually that is probably going to go. But I think on 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 the other side, just that has been over the last, I would say, maybe as much as fifteen years, a renaissance in terms of 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 people making things. Uh, I, I I would say overall we're in we're in pretty pretty good 
good shape. And so just for our listeners, so they go on your website and just put in their interest, because you were saying earlier you'd really like Craft Week to be a way of encouraging people to have the confidence to commission completely bespoke stuff. To make it slightly easier for people, we have different areas that are concentrating on different things. So, you know, we we, we work with Grosvenor in, in Pimlico Road, which is particularly focused on, on interiors and all sorts of amazing people um, you know, who, who've, who for years now have been concentrating on everything to do, do with the home and, and commissioning pieces and so on, through to there is a new contemporary craft fair called Artifact uh, which are, uh, at Chelsea Harbour, which will again be a chance for, let's say, it's, it's less about commissioning a piece, but do you want to tip, dip your toe in the water in terms of beginning to collect craft? Because I think the great thing that maybe people don't, don't realise is whereas to be a serious contemporary arts collector, you know, you, you, you need millions, actually you, you, you can spend hundreds or thousands to begin to slowly build up a, a collection of contemporary glass or ceramics or silver, for example. I just, I just wanted to add just quickly that what, what we try and do is it, it encompass things like fragrance as well, you know, because for, for us, that's absolutely slap bang in the middle of, 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 of amazing craft, too. So, you know, the, the, every year we, we, we have a, a series of, of, of experiences where you can you can go and see and understand about how perfumes are made or or have a chance to to learn how to commission your own. And uh, this year we've got uh, Santa Maria Novella, you know, from, mm. from Florence, who has always been one of my absolute favourites you know, doing, doing a big show, uh, as, as well as, for example, um, for 4160 Tuesday, who specialise in, in, in making fragrances for each individual. Oh, that sounds exciting. Where's that going to be? Oh, in Hammersmith, um, at, at their studio. Oh, I live there. Uh, I live yeah, there. me too. I'll be there. Well, well, I, you are. Find, I need, find, I need find a personalised I need a personalised scent. Yes, you do. Just, just quickly to, to a little plug here for another amazing independent maker who's just starting out called Josephine de Stahl, who is a jeweller. I first met her at the first Homo Faba in Venice in 2018. And she's been studying and working away, especially on, on enameling. And she's been working hard to produce her first ever collection. And she's doing that uh, as a collaboration with Floris, you know, in German street. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, and it's absolutely lovely. I mean, in the sense that florists are willing to give this completely unknown, very talented jeweller a little mini platform in their store. But at the same time, it means that the jewellery she's produced for this first collection of flowers and other things is sort of meant to reflect some of the uh, florist fragrances. That's so interesting because Floris was the um, favourite fragrance producer of Beau Brummel. And I think kind of thinking about the the history of these kind of influencers who have have changed the way that we that we think about fashion have have led the way. So in the show, we kind of have Beau Brummel through to Billy Porter. But I I was really interested in what you were saying about that idea of how we can create demand um, for this craft, because I think something that we're hoping to do with the exhibition is really inspire people to think about 
the way they dress, maybe be bolder about the way they dress. You mentioned earlier Fair Isle knitting, and we have a wonderful portrait in the exhibition of the Duke of Windsor when he was the Prince of Wales in this Fair Isle sweater that when that was first reproduced in the 1920s, that that was really when Fair Isle knitting took off. And so I have this humble hope that by exhibiting this portrait in the exhibition, we can really find, we can create that demand. We can encourage people to think more broadly about what they're wearing. But do you, do you think that's actually working? I, I notice, you know, now post-COVID, everyone's back to physical meetings. And so many of the men, in my world at least, you know, it's like, dark polo necks, linen jackets, dark jeans, trainers. It's almost like a uniform. Yeah, it's a really fascinating moment now because coming out of various lockdowns, we have on one side this real desire to dress up. Then on the same time, this we're so used to our tracksuits bottoms that having to wear anything else feels like a struggle. So we're really seeing this interesting moment where people are people are maybe finding more extreme ends of their wardrobe than they had previously, where they're, when they can do, they're sticking with the lounge pants, but when they're dressing up, they're really going for it. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. I, well, I think that's so interesting Good. as well, because I think going back right to the beginning of what you were saying, Guy, about uh, Craft Week being a way of encouraging people to go bespoke, it's really all about... You know, where's our individuality? Guy is wearing an incredibly dull black. <laughs> yes, I am. I mean, uh, not exactly walking the walk, are we, Guy? No, and, and, and I was just about to say, to admit, to admit to you all and to the listeners that this is the dilemma. I mean, it comes back to this wedding ring. I mean, am I even going to be brave enough to have a wedding ring? Yes, Let alone one yes. One like Astro Smith, you know. Of course you are. Can you? You've got to keep us posted. You know, you're both going to have wedding rings, aren't you? You're going to exchange them. Yeah, well, I mean, we need something to exchange. It might be curtain rings because it's a bit too soon, but we'll see. But just coming coming back to that that thing about, you know, individuality and creativity and, and all, that, all that sort of thing. I do think genuinely, without blowing our trumpet too much, is that London is pretty unique in that sense. That sense that, you know, you, you, you are not in danger of something nasty happening to you if you go out on the street wearing something outrageous or, or you want to try this or you want to try the other. And that is something that maybe we, we, we need to work harder at, at reminding the world that, that we have, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I quite agree. I think, well, I think it's wonderful. And um, thank you both so much for coming on and telling us all about it. We really look forward to it. Thank you too. Thank you so much. Next week, we're going to be taking a step back into the 1980s with two people who witnessed the extraordinary explosion of talent in the literary scene. John Walsh is an acclaimed literary editor, columnist, food critic, author, highly knowledgeable panellist on Radio 4's long-running show, The Right Stuff. And he has a new book out called The Circus of Dreams. He'll be discussing it with the novelist, anthologist and travel writer Sally Emerson, who was editor of the literary magazine Books and Bookmen in the 1980s. And basically, they are going to be spilling the beans on everyone you want to hear about. They brush shoulders with Martin Amis, Ian McEwan, Anthony Burgess, Seamus Heaney, even Rupert Murdoch and Andrew Neal, and many more. Yes, now I've read Circus of Dreams and I can 
highly recommend it. It's an absolute riot full of the most glorious gossip and skullpool sharp observation. So don't fail to tune in next week as with John and Sally on board, it's certain to be highly entertaining and very good fun. Sadly, that's all we've got time for this week, but don't forget that the latest edition of Country and Townhouse is out now at selected newsstands and Waitrose, as well as online, of course, along with the 2022 edition of Great British Brands. You can be found at countryandtownhouse.co.uk where you'll also find our sister podcast, House Guest with all the latest news on interiors from Carol Annette. And just add forward slash newsletter to subscribe both to the weekly magazine newsletter and to the Great British Brands monthly one. We love your feedback, so keep it coming to charlotte at countryandtownhouse.co.uk. See you next week.